and welcome to Voices of Nexus, where experts discuss and debate issues surrounding mental health. Here in the U.S., it is a sad but common observation that our mental health system is broken. People who need help often can't or don't know how to get it, and resources remain underutilized due to stigma or lack of awareness. Many experience crisis before any intervention. Given the added pressures we face today, these faults are doubly exposed. But there are bright spots. There are visionaries working tirelessly to create a better tomorrow and move us from hopeless to hopeful. Here on Voices of Nexus, we will learn about good progress being made as it relates to the mental health of women, youth, and those in the justice system. This podcast is part of the larger Nexus initiative, sponsored by Otsuka America Pharmaceutical Inc. Please check us out at www.nexusmentalhealth.com. That's www.nexusmentalhealth.com. Or look us up on Facebook. Hello, everyone. My name is Eli Perez, and I'm the Director of Patient Advocacy and Stakeholder Management at Otsuka America Pharmaceutical. Welcome to the second episode of Voices of Nexus. On the first episode, we talked about the Nexus Collaborative and how we are working to connect key stakeholders across sectors. Today, I'm thrilled to be diving into one of those crucial connections, strengthening collaboration between women's health and mental health. Women's health is at the core of Nexus work for many reasons. Women and girls are at twice the risk of mental illness as their male counterparts, but issues of gender and sex are often unaccounted for in mental health care. There are multiple factors that drive that gender gap. Gender stereotypes both inside and outside the clinic, disparate access to care, women's roles as primary caregivers, and the ways that women experience trauma. These are just a few of the forces that shape how women receive care. Today, we want to hone in on some opportunities and new thinking regarding the role of providers and communities in addressing the specific mental health needs of women. With me on the line today are two experts in the field. First, we have Sandra Jane, a psychotherapist who specializes in positive psychology. Hello, Sandra. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, and where you focus? Of course, and thanks so much, Eli. I am so excited to be part of the conversation that we're having today. So just a little bit about me. I have a private practice in Austin, Texas. I'm also an adjunct clinical affiliate at the University of Texas at Austin, their School of Nursing. And there I offer teaching as well as research into the world of wellness-enhancing interventions. And I have to tell you, I love the combination of clinical work, research, and teaching. It absolutely keeps the work so fun. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Thank you so much for joining us, Sandra. Great to have you. Our second expert is Beth Badalino, and Beth is the CEO of Healthy Women. Healthy Women is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing awareness of women's health. Hello, Beth. Can you also Hi. tell us a little bit about yourself and Healthy Women? Thank you very much, Eli, and I'd be happy to tell you a little bit about my, my role at Healthy Women. I am actually the CEO of Healthy Women, and I we started the organization in 1996, and much of my time right now is fostering new business relationships and developing strategic partnerships and successfully building out healthy women's media and marketing capabilities. And in my spare time, I'm a practicing nurse in maternal child health at Riverview Medical Center Hackensack 
Meridian Health in Red Bank, New Jersey. So I'd like to keep my hand um, in the healthcare field and love my time at the hospital. So between healthy women and working as a practicing nurse, it's keeping me very busy and very focused in the women's health arena. And I'm pleased to be part of today's conversation with Sandra. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Beth, for joining us, taking time out of your busy schedule. I think we're going to have a great conversation given the vast experience that both of you bring to the table. So thank you again. And let's go ahead and and jump into our discussion today. So Sandra, I'm going to ask the first question uh, to you. Want to just hear a little bit more about the work that you're doing as a psychotherapist, particularly your focus on women's mental health, but just wondering The work that you do, and obviously you're a contributing member, a steering committee member of Nexus, how has this collaboration been beneficial to the work that you're doing? Yeah, happy to share a little bit of that with you and Beth. So my work as a psychotherapist, I've been doing this for probably right at about 32 years now. And I have to say, over the years, it has offered such a great opportunity to really engage with patients in their pursuit of greater well-being. The research that we do around positive psychology and wellness-enhancing practices through the university here in Austin has really given us a chance to look at this from a research perspective, what really works. And that's been fascinating to then incorporate this pursuit of wellness in traditional psychotherapy. So that's an important part of what I do. And as you guys might already be aware that the majority of my patients, current caseload all the way back to the very first year I practiced, is predominantly women. I can't really give you a statistic on that, but I will say the vast majority of people who come to the clinic seeking care are women. And so when this conversation about Nexus first got started and we began talking about creating this and the initiative, It was just like the perfect opportunity to talk about our topic today, women and mental health. And it seemed like such a nice fit. So I have to tell you, I think myself, just like Beth, we are thrilled to be part of the Nexus Initiative because it's given all of us a chance. We can come to the table, lots of experts, lots of different settings. We get to share resources, expertise, our beliefs, kind of our visions for the future. And I think also we've talked about this too. This is a unique opportunity to discuss, also to debate in a friendly way, of course, issues surrounding mental health, particularly for our conversation today, how that relates to women. So, Sandra, this is stuff I just wanted to ask, and it doesn't surprise me at all that most you're seeing so many women, but I wanted to understand from when you first started, have you seen a continued growth and has it been, does it continue to grow or have you gone in peaks and, and valleys with the number of women that you're seeing in your practice? Yeah, that that's a really thought-provoking question, Beth. And Off the cuff, this is what I would say. I think it's been very consistent and very steady. And the reason Mm -hmm. I think that's true is I think that we as women are just more likely to seek help. I think there's somehow in the culture that there is a belief Mm -hmm. that that's okay, right? 
Sometimes we need a little push, but if you look at women accessing care versus men accessing care, I just think there are these beliefs that we as women and also men sort of absorb through their upbringing and in the world in general that gives women sort of the green light to seek therapy or to seek access to care for other physical conditions Mm -hmm. where men probably are less likely to do that. I don't know. What do you think, Beth? No, I I think you're right about, especially women getting some help, but it's what's been interesting and, and why it's the question is we've done a couple surveys about understanding everything we know now about the importance of health, mental health, as well as preventative screening. Are women putting themselves first? Are we putting ourselves first on that list to take care of ourselves? Are we giving ourselves permission to take care of ourselves? And most most women will say absolutely not. They're putting everyone, including the dog, in front of their their own <laughs> needs. But I think the good thing, and why I'm just so pleased to hear your stats and your the number of women that you're seeing in your practice, and that you are in the field that you are because I think you're amazing, is that I think women are speaking and are putting themselves on the list. And even, and I, I'm just like, I'm so thankful you're putting yourselves on the list, even if it's third. I know we're never going to be number one because we put, we'll put our kids or our husband and number two, maybe, but at least if you're on number three, you're number three, that's okay. I do think there is a need for more women to prioritize their health and to understand. And I still think there are some ways that we still need to work on destigmatizing the need to raise your hand and say, I need some help. But I'm so pleased to hear that you're seeing steady and that you are seeing women and more women in your practice, because I do feel that so much of the burden is on our shoulders and that destigmatizing and being able to ask, understanding that you need help and being able to obtain help is so important. Yeah, I was just going to add that I think you're exactly right, Beth. One other sort of setting where I can offer another example of women being more likely to ask for help is in our research setting. So to date, we have just completed our 12th study in different patient populations, as well as a community-based population, as well as a college setting. And without a doubt, across all of them, there are always more women enrolled in the study than men. And, you know, we've talked about that some, like, why is that? And I, I have to go back to my original answer that I think that even though we don't typically put ourselves first in the list, that we are at least somewhere on the list. But somehow, culturally, I think there is this permission that women are just more likely when they're sort of, when they've crashed and burned, they're much more likely to do something where I think men will hold back and just wait it out. Do you think healthcare providers are doing their role? Or is there more that needs to be done and just flagging and asking the right questions? Because so many of us, we're still keeping our annual OBGYN appointment. And I am seeing from, you know, a, a postpartum and now I'm putting on my hat as a, as a nurse. And I know if the mom is not feeling a hundred percent, she may not go to her OBGYN appointment after she gives birth, but she's going to make sure she goes to the pediatrician's office you know, and takes that baby in. So she'll prioritize and take that baby. Is there more that we can do as healthcare providers as far as like initial assessment or asking the right questions to make sure 
that we see, you know, maybe earlier and make sure that these women that need help are getting in to, to see people that can take that next step and help them. I, I just sometimes I feel like there there might be more that we can do as healthcare providers to raise that red flag and say, you know what, asking the right questions, you know, and I know our time is shortened, right? So we have seven to 11 minutes with a patient, but being able to do that assessment and, and make sure that we're giving them the right resources and, and helping them with making that appointment. I, I feel like there might be some more that we can do to keep women healthy, mentally healthy. I think you hit the nail on the head, Beth. What you said is ask the right questions. And so if you think about outside of psychiatry, mental health, most providers, like you said, have seven to 11 minutes. It's very hard to do everything you need to do and then all the rest of the stuff we need to do. But in mental health, in that setting, I mean, I'm blessed to have 50 minutes with each patient I see, which is really quite a gift, quite a luxury. But what I've done, once we sort of all transition to electronic medical records, I built into my intake questionnaire, thinking of your comment, your point about asking the right question, I built into that. Have you had your mammogram? Have you done this follow-up? So I tried to include a section on physical well-being as well as mental well-being, because sometimes I, you know, we get siloed. I think about the mental health things. I want to talk about depression, anxiety, stress. And we're really learning now in this day and age based on science that we really can't divide physical medicine out and mental health out. That that idea, that language of the mind-body connection, that's not Mm -hmm. just a description that's based in science. There's data to back that up. We can't separate the two. And so I think that to answer your very direct question about, is there more we can do? Yes, there's always more we can do. Ask the right questions. And remember that even though we're siloed by specialty, we need to work cooperatively between specialties. So we support each other. You know, we're asking our patients to be supportive and loving and caring. How about we as clinicians do that as well, that I support my colleagues in rheumatology, whatever the specialty is, diabetes, whatever we're working with, that we can share our resources, kind of like what we're doing with Nexus. We have all these specialists, experts, but we're really very diverse And I have to tell you, what I've learned in just the time we've been together with this project is immense. After visiting your website, after the first time we met, I was simply blown away with what you've created, what you're doing, because you really are walking that walk, physical and mental well-being. So hats off to you. I applaud you for your work. It's remarkable. That really is a perfect segue. And thank you for that, Sandra, because I did want to come back to Beth and ask you, Beth, you know, you've asked the question, what can healthcare providers do to take Mm -hmm. better care of their patients? But we absolutely know in the work that we've been doing with you that healthy women is playing a very important role in that discussion as well in terms of how to generate more awareness of how folks can take care of themselves. So wanted to ask you, tell us a little bit more about healthy women. Tell us about how healthy women is thinking about mental health and how has a collaboration like Nexus been beneficial to the work that you're currently doing? Well, I think, you know, I have to say Nexus has been amazing and I I couldn't agree more with Sandra's point that it's so many diverse groups and people that are around the table. But when we start talking, we realize 
that we're all connected in some way or should be connected. And I think that's the point, right? Making sure that we're connected and that we're sharing and that we're having the conversation. So I think what Healthy Women has done and and what has really kind of differentiated Healthy Women from some other organizations is that we are a digital platform. And so we touch all women's health issues and we are a national organization that is on 24-7. And what we've done is continue to evolve on how we're providing information and resources. We're changing as our audience changes, making sure that she has the information in the format that she chooses. It's not one size that fits all. And so we've done a great job. And I say that because we really do put so much effort in making sure that our content is medically vetted and accurate and that we have a diverse group of writers that are writing for different types of people that make up our wonderful audience. And we look at women's health, women ages and stages. While we specialize in women 35 to 64, we have the mom, we have the caregiver, we have the sister, we have the aunt, we have the significant other. And so we do, you know, a great job at making sure that our content is consistent and that she has the most, you know, actual and factual information so that she can make a better health decision for herself in partnership with her healthcare provider. So, you know, we'll continue to evolve and continue to make sure that we are that credible voice. When women are thinking about or looking for something on on their health, they can trust healthy women. When it comes to mental health, I think, Sandra, you, you put it so eloquently. It's mind body and it's, you know, it's not separate. It's all in one. It's inclusive. And I think, that's a newer direction. I feel like before it was always separated and mental health was something on the left side and then below the the neck was on the right side. And now I feel like it is coming together. And I think the best job that healthy women can do or the need that healthy women is, is helping to fix. And I think all of the people that sit around the nexus table or is on our, our little group is destigmatizing because I think, yes, women are raising their hands and we will seek help, but it's also letting people know that it's okay. It's okay to get help and it's okay to feel that way and you're not alone. And I think that's another strength that healthy women bring to the table is one of our channels is real women, real stories. So getting that real life perspective from women that are going through or living with is so important because it it normalizes it and it's going to open the door for someone else who may have been thinking like, do I have a problem? Will it go away tomorrow? Do I need to talk to someone? And hearing from someone else saying, this is what I've been through. and I did get help and it was okay. I was successful and that helped give me the tools to move it forward. I think it's so important. I just had a thought thinking about what we've been talking about previously about collaboration between specialties and how Nexus is really kind of a, a beacon for how that can work, bringing different experts together and really benefiting. And I just had this thought, Beth, and I'm wondering what you might think about this. I see what your website offers to women, and it's just so broad and vast and important information. And I'm wondering, do psychotherapists, do psychologists, do psychiatrists, psychiatric nurse practitioners, How many of them, if we did a survey, would actually know about healthy women? And so I'm thinking that one of the offshoots of this conversation is a way to open up what you're doing to a mental health channel across all those specialties, because 
what a fabulous resource for all of my female patients to be able to say, I got a great resource for you. Because my best guess is this, the vast majority do not know about this resource. And I I think that's something that we should try to fix together. So that would be a lot of fun. And I think of great value. Couldn't agree with you more. And that's why, you know, with the Nexus Collaborative, the really driving force behind this is to make sure that all the voices who should be around the table having this discussion are represented. Uh, And those are individuals who are living with mental health conditions, but it's also the folks who can not only provide feedback and strategy solutions, but also groups that can help us get the word out to a much broader group of individuals. Because if we're going to break down stigma, reduce stigma, we have we can't keep talking to ourselves, but we really have to expand, you know, much more broadly. And and I think Healthy Women is a perfect example of a partner who's come to the table, great reach, great voice, and can help us amplify some of the voices who have been at the table for a while to get that voice out to a broader audience. And so very much happy to have you both part of the work that we're doing because we know that we all have a role to play in getting the word out when it comes to getting help to individuals who need it. That's great. We would love it. And I would love to have a project to work on with you, Sandra. So yes, Healthy Women is 100% in. Perfect. Let's do it. So I want to stay with you, Beth, and just ask you um, a question. You know, in some of the work that we've been doing together, you've talked a lot about the importance of understanding, addressing, and preventing trauma in women. I think over the past few years of a greater understanding that underlying trauma can play a significant role in mental health, in overall physical health for individuals, but particularly women. And most folks in the general public have an idea of what trauma is or what PTSD is, but obviously we know that we need to do a lot to educate folks on kind of all the different forms that trauma can take and the impact that that can have on an individual. So just want to hear from you uh, and your viewpoint, why trauma is so important to better address and what do you think we can do better to help bring help to individuals who need it when it comes to trauma? So trauma, I mean, it comes, it can come in different forms and it's something that we can hide. And I want Sandra to jump in when she feels ready because I know you see a whole different side, but I think for us, for healthy women, it's being able, again, to provide the information and resources and for her to recognize that this is not normal and that there it's okay to raise your hand and to get help and to hear from other women that may have lived with some type of trauma, whether it was domestic violence or sexual being sexually abused. And th- those would be two of the bigger ones that we would get, you know, that audience, that, that woman that may have suffered from. And many people will bury it and not and think that it's just, you know, she needs to move on, but being able to say it's okay to talk about it and to share. And more importantly, here are the questions that can help you bring it up with your healthcare provider and, and or resources that you can go to, to find more help and people that have come from, you know, had had similar experiences as such as you. So I think for us, the biggest role that healthy women can play is destigmatize and providing that helping hand. And I always say, healthy women is like, we're there to take your hand, hold your hand in a virtual way, and make sure that we steer you. We provide you with information, but we're going to steer you to steer you to organizations that completely own it and where you're going to get be safe and, and have additional resources that specifically 
tackle the area that you're interested in. So I think that is the role role for healthy women and how we've helped so many women achieve that next step. I think what you just said, Beth, what you just described, that healthy women becomes kind of a conduit between women in the community and a connection to resources. And I think also what I see in practice commonly is that when women come into treatment, they sometimes know about the experience or experiences that they had. They have conscious awareness of them, but they don't have a good definition. They don't know what to call it. They can describe Mm -hmm. it. And so I think in addition to access to resources, maybe a step before that, one of the things I find myself doing routinely is defining trauma in a language that a person sitting in front of me can actually understand. I can give you an example of that. But oftentimes women, when I'm doing a family history and I'm sort of going through their story and their recollections, it becomes very clear that they've either sort of graduated from a family of origin that is filled with emotional trauma, emotional abuse, potentially sexual abuse, potentially physical abuse. But as my patients are talking about this, they oftentimes do not identify that as trauma. They say, well, that's just what happens in families. You know, they minimize it in a way, not intentionally, but because of lack of understanding that, you know, typically we think of traumas as big events, people who have served in wars, natural disasters, a rape, an assault, things like that. But what we know is this, there are certainly those kind of traumas, but then there are also and I don't want to say smaller to imply less important, but there are these different kinds of traumas that are subtle, but they recur day in and day out for years upon years. And that can be very damaging to the recipient of that kind of abuse. As an example, lack of attention, emotional disconnectedness sort of within the confines of a family, just emotional walking away from your responsibilities of caring for these younger children. So to kind of pull that back together, understanding and labeling with the patient, and this is not like a one-stop shop and you're done. This is really an ongoing conversation, but to help them be able to sort of name the beast, if you will, that old saying, in order to tame the beast, you have to name it first. I often talk to patients about that because it's very hard to help people move forward after a trauma like that if they don't even realize it's a trauma. That's why I I love what you do, Sandra. And you're absolutely right. That's exactly the example that we need because so many people would not even realize that this is trauma. They think it's normal. And for us to be able to, or, you know, Hearing your story or your perspective on it just, again, teases out something that for many women, they would not even realize that this is a trauma and it's affecting them. So I think, Eli, that's what I I would say, like, again, we're here to raise awareness and make sure we have the tools. And then you've got the great expertise of Sandra, who can talk more in depth about the trauma and the cases that she's seen and what's still needed, right? There's still gaps that we haven't met yet. So the opportunity to do more education and awareness. 
Thank you very much for that, both of you. Sandra, I do want to ask you a different question. You know, obviously, when you look at trauma, as much as possible, you are trying to address, unfortunately, an event that happened in the past. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about moving and looking towards the future for individuals and this idea of prevention. And you've talked a lot about the importance of prevention. Just share with us, how do you think about prevention when it comes to women-specific mental health needs? Yeah. So the thing I'll have to do, Eli, to answer that question is just remember, I am talking about women, but I'm also talking about anyone who comes into treatment because prevention to me is the name of the game. And so you and I and Beth and I have talked about the importance of prevention. And Beth, as you've outlined, I mean, that's such an important part of your work with healthy women So I'm kind of thinking about it from my perspective as a therapist. And honestly, the traditional model of psychotherapy is dealing with symptom reduction because we've got to know what the presenting problem is. And then we sort of, through the work of DSM, use that to rate symptoms, number symptoms, and that's our goal, symptom reduction and better functionality. But I have to tell you, women just to go back to that population, they come to my practice when things have either tipped out of balance or they've reached a state of just full-on crisis. And here's the challenge for all of us. In those moments, as they walk into my office, it's very difficult to address prevention because they're in a state of crisis. You've got to deal with what's right in front of you at that moment. But at some point in the work, there is always an opportunity where prevention has to be the topic and the focus of the conversation. And my best way to think about this, and I've, I've sort of carried this belief for a very long time, that when I think about prevention and mental health, I think about dentistry. Most of us in this country know about preventative dentistry, which means flossing, getting your teeth cleaned every six months on a regular basis. And for this very reason, we want to prevent bigger problems down the road. And that approach to healthcare, I mean, it it makes absolutely perfectly good sense. But here's the rub. In mental health, sadly, we don't think about care that way. Again, we're focusing on symptom reduction. And patients in general, certainly women as a subset of that group, they'll wait to seek care until the situation's untenable or a crisis has just driven them into my office or you know, another clinician's office. So again, I think this connection with Nexus, because we are so united, we want to create a system that focuses on prevention. We don't want this to be a crisis-driven model. We want it to be a model of prevention and skill building. And offering resources, like Beth said just a moment ago. I mean, it's just such a beautiful marriage of all of those things. I love it. Anything you want to add, Beth? You know, I was just thinking from a consumer's perspective. So I'm putting on that lens now. And I'm seeing more commercials on kind of that virtual setting. And I think it's appropriate now, even as we were, you know, in the COVID-19 pandemic right now. But, you know, I'm thinking of what Michael Phelps has done to bringing up the conversation and, and, and here you're hearing someone that 
is this amazing athlete and gold medal winner. And he's so young and saying, you know what, I've had some issues with, you know, depression and, and I've gotten help and he's, he's promoting an application, an online application for, to be able to speak to a therapist. But I just think this whole idea of educating and the importance of, I love the prevention piece of it because I've never, honestly, I haven't thought about it that way. So I'm just, and I wrote it down as you were speaking, Sandra, I'm thinking it is, it is prevention. And if we can start thinking about it and I'm, you know, now with a women's health angle, you know, we know we have those preventative guidelines, those preventative screenings, there's 26 preventative screenings. We should be adding mental health to that. We, we need to update those guidelines. And do we start with women's health and then go to men's health? Maybe. So we look, or do we do both at the same time? But we have 26 preventative screenings that are now covered by the Affordable Care Act. And mental health is not on that list. So is there an opportunity to do more education, to utilize some of the great you know, resources that have been developed that are making it easier and easier for people to tap into and get appointments and begin the conversation? Can we go a little bit deeper in that direction? Eli, I was just going to say quickly that, Beth, to your point, that mental health, sometimes it's sort of like an afterthought. It's a lot like wellness. In mental health, as providers, we often don't think about the importance of wellness. And so a lot of our conversations with our colleagues and other specialties is about elevating wellness to the table front and center. And I think, Beth, to your point, we want to do the same thing with prevention because with good prevention comes very high levels of wellness and well-being. So it's really kind of a nice way to rethink about this formula of healthcare, if you will. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting to see how things are evolving. I think it's taking a little bit longer than I would like. But even on in the area that I practice in, in, in maternity, you know, we do the postpartum depression screening, but that hasn't been in place for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then we're doing the follow-up calls to new moms. And now that we see moms during the COVID-19 pandemic here, we're seeing patients for a, a normal delivery, they're being discharged in 24 hours. And for a C-section, many of those patients are leaving in 48 hours. So there is concern, you know, and I'm just thinking, yes, my hospital system, we have things in place. They're not foolproof. But that idea of making sure that we're checking in on that mom and her mental health as she prepares to leave early and once she transitions from hospital to home is very, very important to us and very important to our unit. So we are putting some extra precautions in that. But that doesn't mean that it's that every system is putting that into place. So I just think going back to Nexus, I think there is we're doing so much. I love the the groups that we're working with, but the opportunity here to bring a whole new level of perspective to mental health. And again, that whole idea of prevention, I absolutely love and never thought of it like that. But I think that this could be a whole game changer in how we approach the conversation and more importantly, how we fill the gap, you know, the unmet needs that, that we've seen, how we address those and fix it moving forward. Agreed. And I think, you know, talking about game changers, obviously the pandemic that we're all living through is a game changer with regards to bringing greater awareness to the fact that we all have mental health that we have to care for. 
And, you know, being able to have that discussion on a broader level, to be able to bring resources to individuals, to have them think about screening, to have them think about entering into a conversation with a healthcare professional, because we're all living through this together right now. It just seems that we're at that tipping point where perhaps we will see this greater focus on prevention, this greater focus on mental wellness, because wellness, because we all kind of have a greater understanding of mental health, the negative impact that outside circumstances can have on our mental health. Add to that what's happening today with the protests across the country. Uh, everyone's living, you know, with unprecedented levels of anxiety and anger and just other factors that are all taking its toll on our mental health. So very unique times that we're living through. Uh, hopefully we can come through on the other side, looking specifically at how we can address not just the injustices that we see in the world, but our mental, our collective mental health, because a lot of work needs to be done there. So I just want to kind of close here. We're coming to the end of our time, just with, with a question to both of you, specifically as we're living through this pandemic, what are you seeing in terms of steps moving in the right direction or, you know, specific things that need to be addressed that are just not happening right now. You know, Bethy spoke a bit to, you know, what you're seeing in your hospital system when Mm -hmm. it comes to caring for women who have just given birth and and the need to follow up with them. But just to both of you, what else are you kind of, what final thoughts do you want to leave us with in terms of what we need to be thinking about as we come out of this pandemic and its impact on mental health? Yeah, I know. It's such an interesting question that you ask, Eli, because when we think about this pandemic, I think that many times the conversations have been focused around sort of this feeling of uncertainty. You know, how much risk are we willing to take? The worries about, will I contract the virus? What will happen? Or for people we know who have lost their jobs. So the uncertainty, the changes, it adds to the stress and the worries that many of the people that we're talking about, women, are already at higher risk for probably about 50% increased risk over men for depression, anxiety, stress-related conditions. So we have that. We know that's happening. We know that people are suffering, particularly women. But I like to think about and ask this question. How can we come out of this on the other side thinking about post-traumatic growth? Are there things from all of this uncertainty, worry, where we can learn something and grow from this pandemic? And it's a very challenging, difficult question because it requires us to stop, to sort of sit quietly and think about, for me personally, what can I learn from this and how do I keep that going? How do I make that part of my everyday life moving forward. So I would love for the conversation to not walk away from the worries and the uncertainties because that's legitimate, but to also add to the conversation, what about post-traumatic growth? What can I learn from this? How can I come out of this a better, stronger, more resilient human being? I agree. It's so funny because even with my team and my team is is women, when I kick off our bi-weekly team meetings, I ask them what has happened to you or your family during COVID-19. Because I think, I love that idea. I love the thought of growth. And I think all of us, if we think about it, there has been positive things that have come about this. And I think just thinking about it and being able to share makes everything so much nicer and and more doable. And I don't know, it makes me smile. It makes me feel better. So I love the idea of looking at it 
from a glass half full perspective. And yeah, there are things that we're going to worry about and we'll continue to worry about, but there's also some good things that came from this. And it's whether it's learning how to homeschool your child. And while you might not have gotten a hundred percent right in that lesson, you learn what the teachers go through. There's better maybe respect for what the teachers are dealing with day in and day out. And, and maybe the opportunity to do instead of bike rides on Saturday and Sunday, you're doing bike rides every night of the week and just listening and, and the chance to just be with certain family members, or you learn different ways to communicate with elderly relatives and and parents. So I think that whole idea of positive growth and how we can apply it to our new norm, our new everyday life, I think that's where I would love to to focus instead of the the bad side or the, the negative. Yeah, you know, I think we have to bear witness to the bad stuff by being present and listening. But the flip to that or the extension of that is this post-traumatic growth and the opportunity. And if I may, just for my comments, end with just a beautiful story. I was on a Zoom call last week and there were three or four ladies on the call and then one gentleman. And everybody was kind of talking about the adjustments and things they're worried about. And I asked the question, I wonder for all of us, could we just take a minute and talk about maybe one positive thing that's come from something that's been so terrible and everybody contributed. And when it got to the gentleman, he just very quietly said, you know, I'm working from home. I'm having to deal with two children under the age of six, sort of being loud and playing and interrupting what I'm doing. It's been very different. But the most beautiful thing that's happened is I've had quality time with my two girls that I would not have had otherwise because I would have been in an office and to be home and to watch them and to interact with them and with their mother and to do things together as a family is a gift of COVID-19 that I will never forget. And I want you to know people just sat stunned in silence because it spoke to everyone and it was very meaningful. I think it's perfect. Yeah, no, I I think that's the sentiment you're going to hear from a lot of people is that this time has been, well, crazy, challenging, stressful. There's also been something that's been very, very rewarding. And that, as you said, Sandra, there's been growth, positive growth. Absolutely. And I can't think of a better way to end our conversation today other than that and the fact that we can absolutely grow out of this situation that we're all currently facing. So with that, I just want to thank you again, Sandra, Beth, for your time today. Really appreciate all of the great insights and uh, tips that you all shared today, if you will. Hoping that listeners will get a lot of value out of what they heard. I know I absolutely have. And again, thank you both for spending this time with us. Really appreciate you both. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Voices of Nexus. Don't forget to check us out at www.nexusmentalhealth.com. That's www.nexusmentalhealth.com. Or look us up on Facebook.